Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle. With Robo Hair. Sprite Castle. Hello and welcome to Sprite Castle, the show in which we play, discuss, and review Commodore 64 games. My name is Rob Flack O'Hara, and on this episode of Sprite Castle, we will be discussing one-on-one, the great basketball game from Electronic Arts. This game was recommended by E. Smith a long time ago, but I've been waiting until the NBA playoffs to work this in because your Oklahoma City Thunder, which is kind of a joke because that's what the local announcers always say it as, but they say your Oklahoma City Thunder are in the NBA playoffs. Uh, We have, we being the Oklahoma City Thunder, have two of the top five basketball players in the country with Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant. So if you live in Oklahoma City, like I do, you are very excited right now about the NBA playoffs. Uh, in the first round, we played the Dallas Mavericks, who everyone thought was going to beat us, but they didn't. We beat them. Uh, and then we advanced to play the San Antonio Spurs, and everybody knew the Spurs were going to beat us, but they didn't. The Oklahoma City Thunder won, and last night, The Oklahoma City Thunder played the Golden State Warriors in the Western Playoff Conference Championship, the first of seven games, and Oklahoma City won 108-102. Now, I know there are a a very small segment of listeners out there who enjoy uh, professional American NBA basketball, and even a smaller uh, section of that are people who enjoy basketball. hearing about the Oklahoma City Thunder. (laughs) So we won't be talking about the Thunder anymore on this episode. We're going to be talking about uh, this great basketball game, which was actually endorsed by the two uh, uh, professional basketball players that appear in the game, Larry Bird and Dr. J. But do you know what the first computer game to have celebrity endorsements were? We will find out the answer to that trivia question later on in the show. Now, before we get started with this episode's game, let's check the Daily Sun for this week's Paperboy headlines. Well, hello and welcome back to another episode of Sprite Castle. I know it's been about a month on You Don't Know Flack, my other major uh, or main podcast. I talked a little bit about what the delay has been from. I, uh, I'm just finishing up a semester in graduate school. I'm working on my master's of professional writing and towards the end of the semester, that really took a lot of my spare time, but I'm done with the semester and now I have all the free time in the world to podcast. So get ready listeners. (laughs) And if you aren't uh, listening to my other show, you don't know flack. Uh, you can find all my podcasts over at robohara.com forward slash podcasts. Uh, I'm also doing Cactus Flax, where I'm talking about all the arcade machines that I have owned throughout the years. There are over, uh, I'm going to do 50 episodes of that show. Um, there were more machines than that, but I've consolidated uh, some of them into uh, single episodes. So, um, yep, lots more time to record, so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, the first thing that I really feel like I need to discuss in Commodore land is this um, Commodore 64, the new Commodore, I believe it's just called the 64. 
that is uh, currently trying to get funding on Indiegogo. I've had several people, probably a dozen people, ask me, hey, are you going to be buying one of these things? And so I, I went and did a little bit of poking around, and this is a new version of the Commodore 64. It looks like the old Breadbin 64. It has a $150 price tag projected. Uh, and then there's a second one, which is a slightly, uh, it's like a handheld version. It looks almost like a uh, Game Boy Advance or something. And I think it costs just a few dollars more, maybe 10 or $20 more, something like that. Uh, and everybody's asking me, hey, are you going to buy one of these? You're going to buy one of these? I mean, I'm, uh, a lot of people, when they, they think, oh, who's that, that guy in my life that likes Commodore stuff? And when your Twitter handle is Commodore, <laughs> they tend to think of you. Uh, and so, you know, I've been looking into this thing, but uh, when I first looked into it, it seemed like they were being a little coy about what was actually under the hood. I mean, I know it looks like a Commodore 64, but it has an SD card slot. Um, it has uh, HDMI out. It has a lot of things that make you, uh, you know, think that the the under the hood has been upgraded, but they wouldn't say exactly what it was. I was really hoping that it would be a, um, a well-implemented uh, FPGA so that you would have true, uh, not emulation, but simulation of the Commodore 64 innards. But it appears as of last week, they have revealed that it's not. It is a, I think I read that it's a running on an ARM processor, um, but uh I'm not, I'm not sure if that was a specific processor, but essentially, you know, inside it, it's, it's running an emulator. So it's similar to what you would get out of, let's say a Raspberry Pi, and it may actually be a Raspberry Pi inside the machine. They haven't said specifically what's inside, but that uh, takes away a little bit. Actually, it takes away almost all of my interest level because I have so many machines here at my house that will already emulate a Commodore 64. I also have real Commodore 64. So, you know, the, the HDMI out seems like a selling point until you remember that, that a Raspberry Pi has HDMI out. Um, and, you know, the ability to hook up joysticks and stuff. Of course, we have that with a Pi. And a Raspberry Pi costs $35. And this thing costs $150. So, uh, I don't... Well, <laughs> that... It's uh, you're donating $150 in hopes of getting one. So you're not even actually, you know, purchasing this. You're just, you know, donating money. Uh, and it's not like Kickstarter. Uh, in Kickstarter, if the project doesn't make it, then hopefully uh, someday you might get your money back. <laughs> um, but not with Indiegogo. This is, um, you know, people. you're just giving your money. So uh, I'm not saying don't give your money to the project if you believe in the project and hopefully they, they do make it, but I don't know. I don't think this one is for me. I do like the form factor. I mean, it looks like a old school C64 and, uh, I wonder how the keyboard, like, I want to know how it feels. Um, you know, one of the, the biggest problems, if you have a, uh, collection of old computers like I do. I have a an eight foot desk with three machines on it. I, for a long time, I had an Amiga on the far left that's been replaced with a Raspberry Pi setup, uh, which is much physically smaller, but still takes a keyboard and mouse and everything. And then in the middle, I have my sixty four, and on the right, I have an Apple II uh, E. But when you set things up side by side, you realize 
how many things pop out of the side of the Commodore 64. On the right-hand side, you have your joystick ports. Um, you know, you, you have little plug-ins and stuff, uh, things coming out of the right-hand side. And same thing with the Amiga. So, so you have to scoot things further apart, you know. And so I was really hoping a lot of the ports on this new C64 would be relocated to the back, but that doesn't seem to be the case. In fact, there seems to be even more things on the side. Uh, the SD card slot is on the side, the joystick ports. Now the power uh, adapter <laughs> is on the side. Um, the one curious thing about the whole project is the fact that it has a cartridge port. I'm very curious to see from a hardware level how that is implemented because that, I would think, take... Uh, a lot more engineering to implement than, you know, just a, everything else I've seen looks like you could just do it with a Raspberry Pi, but um, not, a, not a physical cartridge. That part, I'm not really sure, unless maybe it's just something that looks like a cartridge and inside there's an SD card or something. I mean, maybe it's a, uh, some sort of, n not trickery, but uh, not exactly what, what it looks like. Uh, so I don't know. I, I would, I, I wish them the best and I would like to see one, but I don't know, uh, that I need to own one, but if you're interested, I will put the link in the show notes. Uh, they are trying to raise $150,000 to get this project off. And I believe they're about halfway there right now. So, uh, let's see in magazine news. There were two new zines that came out since the last episode, uh, retro gaming times number two, which is a free retro uh, newsletter. Uh, has been released, and also the latest issue of Commodore Free, Commodore Free 92. And I always enjoy all the little articles and reviews that are in Commodore Free. Uh, and as the name says, both of those are free. So, uh, again, links in the show notes. If you want to get caught up on your Commodore 64 reading, those are some good things to go uh, uh, pick up. I saw a few other, um, I, I guess I would call it hardware-related news stories that I grouped together here. The first, I just saw this link uh, over the weekend. It's a USB adapter called uh, the Joy Division. I believe this was done by Onyx Soft. It is a USB adapter for your PC that allows you to connect a DB9 joystick directly to your computer. Now, they're not selling this, but they have the schematics and the plans for you to build it yourself. Now, uh, I always enjoy a good building project and picking up parts and doing things. But I will tell you that on eBay, I picked up a Y cable adapter. So it's a USB mail uh, that plugs into your PC. And on the other end, it has two female DB9 ports. So you can connect two uh, Atari style joysticks to your computer. And so I have a actual Atari joystick plugged into that. Actually, uh, I have an Atari joystick in port one and an Epix uh, XJ500 in port two. And that whole adapter, that wire was, I believe, 10 or $12, either off of eBay or Amazon. So I'm not sure what the parts would cost you to build this Joy Division. And sometimes that's not the cost. Sometimes it's just if you enjoy uh, the actual project. So you can, um, uh, maybe you're interested in doing that. I also saw a video, uh, uh, I believe this is called Be Blonde by Ravi Abbott. Uh, it is a uh, tutorial showing how to remove uh, the yellow 
from plastics. And of course, everybody who's into this hobby has something that's not quite as white as it used to be. <laughs> I think almost everything I own uh, has faded from the lights or UV exposure or just age over time. And a lot of people, there are products out there. I know like the Retro Bright and there are some other products that you can purchase, but uh, this seems to be... Um, you know, some stuff that you can mix up yourself. And I watched the video and he had pretty good results. So if you're interested in restoring some of your hardware, restoring the colors back to the original factory colors, uh, you might want to check out that video. And finally, I saw, uh, and this just blipped across on my Facebook uh, feed, was a new Commodore wireless modem from jammingsignal.com. Uh, it, that's pretty reasonable. It's $150, and then it suggested that you buy a programmer for $20 and $10 for shipping. So you're in $180, uh, which is not you know chump change, but basically this allows you to connect your C64 to your wireless router. And you know my wireless router is in a different room from where all my old retro computers are set up. So if I wanted to, like when I experimented with the uh, Commodore Flyer, I had to run a cable you know, into another room and mess around with things like that. So this would actually be pretty um, useful, I think. It has a Arduino, um, it's basically a little miniature computer of itself with a tiny screen uh, that uh, connects in and, and I like that it connects through the user port, like a traditional modem, I guess. So you can still leave your 1541 ultimate connected through the cartridge port, uh, and then load up terminal programs. Uh, there is a video on YouTube. I will add a link to that. It says that it's compatible with the C64, the SX64 and the 128 and the VIC 20. So, I, uh, as a kid, I was never a big 128 user, but I think when it came to uh, modeming 80 columns would have been nice uh, versus 40 columns. So that uh, that might be an, a, uh, a nice use for this. Um, you can use any terminal software and connect to any of the BBSs that are connected online. So that would be kind of cool. And it does simulate 2400 baud and 9600 baud. So even if you're using it for, for reading or transferring files or whatever, it should uh, meet your needs. So if you pick one of these up, I would be very interested to hear from you uh, and see uh, you know what you think of it and how it works in your review. Because I'm kind of on the fence of picking one of these up. I think it might be a, uh, a interesting addition to... Uh, uh, to the collection. So I'm going to run through uh, game headlines that I saw. We had um, Eye of the Gods, which is a new game for sale by Cytronic. Uh, there's a, a few other games that are coming out after this cartridge competition that just ended. Uh, Honeybee is one of those games. So uh, I, again, I'll always add links to that stuff, but there's lots of new games coming out this time of year, which is exciting. Uh, the uh, there was a, a competition for who could write the best retro game in 10 lines of basic. And those games are coming out and believe it or not, there's some good games in there. I mean, obviously they're not going to stand up with the commercial releases that are out there on the C64, but there's some fun little things to uh, mess around with. Uh, and speaking of new releases, Bryce Tomlinson has released, I believe the final beta, if not by now, maybe the final version of Kaleidoscope. Uh, now, this is Kaleidoscope Reloaded. Back in the day, Kaleidoscope was a very good uh, image editing program. I always used ScreenGen 
back in the day, but um, Kaleidoscope was a uh, very popular one as well for doing BBS graphics, anything that would do Petaski um, or Petsky or Petaski, <laughs> we say. Uh, but uh, uh, yeah, it, it's, I mean, you know, you're drawing in basic and you can cut and copy and highlight and do different colors. I mean, things that you wouldn't imagine and obviously a lot more features than you have if you're just sitting, you know, at a basic screen trying to draw the graphics and things like that. So uh, you, you should definitely, if you have any interest at all, and, you know, if you go look at some of the Commodore, um, the ASCII, the you know like the bbs screens and stuff that other people have done and sit down with this you will realize just how much talent some of those guys have to be able to turn all those little keyboard squiggles into uh you know actual pictures that look fantastic so uh, that's um uh, definitely worth checking out uh, even if you know just for curiosity's sake to play around but uh, go give bryce's uh, kaleidoscope reloaded a check out and uh, finally i had two other games here uh one was slavia 2 which i haven't got a chance to try yet it looks really good the other one was uh pentagram and that is a port of a zx spectrum it's one of those monocolor uh what would you call it like an isometric game i was never big on those but uh this was an old zx spectrum game that never made it to the c64 so someone has ported that over so if you like those styles of games you might want to give that a check uh, and now let's jump on to the king of the castle this episode's king of the castle is john justice now, I'd like to mention John for two reasons. One, obviously, is for being the king of the castle. He guessed uh, that um, the last episode featured a song called Sir Duke. Some people call it You Can Feel It All Over. It is from Stevie Wonder, and the game featured was Wonder Boy. So that was the tenuous connection between the two. But John Justice has also been all over Twitter for the past several weeks, he purchased the remains of an old computer store <laughs> that closed down in the 90s, uh, and he has been sending out pictures of stacks and stacks and stacks of Commodore 64 hardware, old 64s in the box, new 64s, disk drives, open drives, still in the box drives, uh, you know, mountains of software. It, it's, I have no idea what he paid for it. And um, I don't know if he was married or if he still is married after <laughs> purchasing this much Commodore 64 hardware all at one time. But uh, the pictures that he's been posting are uh, fantastic. So I will add a link to uh, uh, John's Twitter account on uh, this episode's notes. But uh, congratulations to John. And John, that makes him a third-time winner. And he is now officially Sprite Castle royalty. That means that uh, John is now retired from the King of the Castle competition, which means there's more room for you to win. <laughs> so if you'd like to be the next episode's King of the Castle, all you need to do is correctly identify the secret 8-bit song played during the show's closing credits. The song will not be from the game, but will be related to the game in some way, like a song from Stevie Wonder on an episode about Wonder Boy. 
Once you've identified the secret song, the first person to send the song title to me, either through Facebook, Twitter, email, or the show's voice mailbox, will be the next King of the Castle. And all those contacts are listed in the show's closing credits. And those are this week's headlines brought to you by my local paperboy who just broke up a fight between two of my neighbors. Oh, wow. That's what I get. Now, some feedback that I've gotten about the show is that the uh, news is running longer and longer, and it's taking more time to get to the game. So I think for the time being, I'm going to be skipping over Talking Snack and moving right into the game. So this week's game is one-on-one. It was published for the Commodore 64 in 1984 by Electronic Arts. It is a game for one or two players, and it uses joystick or keyboard controls. It was designed by Eric Hammond. He is listed as the designer on Pro Quarterback. He did the programming on Kings of the Beach. He also did the audio for Joe Montana's NFL football, and he did the audio on Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. So Eric Hammond uh, seems like one of those, like a lot of early programmers, just a jack of all trades. Of course, this classic game was published by Electronic Arts. We've talked about Electronic Arts before on the program. We have covered Mail Order Monsters and Archon. So if you want to hear more about the company, you can go check out those episodes. So when this game came out, the two biggest players in the NBA were Larry Bird and Dr. J, Julius Irving. And they were two different types of players. You know, Dr. J was known for his uh, hook and his dunks. Larry Bird was known for being a three-point shooter. And, and both were big men that liked to push, you know, be physical players. And so uh, Eric Hammond came up with the idea of having a one-on-one basketball game with these two players, uh, you know, facing each other. So it's not five-on-five basketball, just like the name says. It is uh, one-on-one. And you, uh, the the celebrities, I mean, the, the two star players are featured very heavily throughout the game. They're on the front cover. They're in the game's title. Uh, and, of course, they are uh, the only two characters that appear in the game other than our friendly referee, <laughs> which we will be talking about. Uh, one-on-one came in that electronic arts, what they call a record label packaging. I mean, it looks like a vinyl record. It is a square that opens up. Uh, Again, the front of the box has Dr. J and as Larry Bird. And it's interesting that um, it kind of goes back and forth between referring to Dr. J as Julius Irving. And like on the front of the manual, it says Julius Irving. Um, but, you know, in the game, it calls him Dr. J, uh, which was, you know, definitely his nickname. Uh, in the manual, you get the list of game options, the different types of modes. We'll talk about um, some of the different settings that are in here. It talks about the different players' characteristics. It says Dr. J is quicker driving to the basket, a slightly quicker, it says, and Larry Bird is bigger, so he's a better rebounder, uh, and that he's better at outside shooting and three-point shooting. Uh, so, you know, the, the idea is planted that the two characters are not just clones of one another. They're not identical, that they do play uh, a little bit different. There's also a lot of information in the manual advice from Larry Bird and Dr. J about basketball. You know, there's different quotes. Um, I'm just skimming through here. Here's one from Dr. J. By the way, I do own an original copy of this. Uh, Dr. J says, 
Try to fake the other guy off his feet. If you go up while he's coming down, he'll probably foul you. That's how you get your three-point play. Well, I don't know that you can do <laughs> that stuff in the game, but uh, it's good that he he gives you uh, that kind of advice. There's a big section about how to con- you know how to play defense. Um, there's big biographies about Larry Bird and Dr. J. So there's a lot of information in here, and there's a lot of uh, you know additional things, stuff that has no impact on the game at all. You know, there's uh, interviews with the players and, um, and just all kinds of cool stuff. So it's one of those manuals that really adds to uh, the game, not just explaining the game, but giving you additional material that they wouldn't include in the game. Now it would probably be, you know, a five minute video that they included on a DVD as an extra or something like that. But um, back then you had to put that stuff in the manual. So when you load the game up, we come up to the title screen. That is where you will see, uh, your first view of the game, it'll be a simulated, you know, a demo of the two players playing. Uh, there's some music playing. You have the Electronic Arts logo. It says by Eric Hammond. And then you have some scrolling text going across the bottom. Once you press a button, you are forwarded to the menu screen. Now, on the menu screen, there are several. Uh, it's like a matrix where you have to choose how you want to play. For example, under play ball, which is the top choice, you have resume game, start a new game, or just watch the demo. Under select game, you have, that's uh, your four different difficulty levels, uh, parks and rec, varsity, college, or pro. The normal version is college. Uh, when you go to pro, you still get a 24-second so- uh, shot clock, but it go it counts faster than 24 seconds. I think it counts two numbers a second. So uh, it's a much faster game. On uh, the lowest level, I was able this time to wrap the score and still beat um, Dr. J. I was Larry Bird. So Larry Bird scored 26, and I scored basically 133. <laughs> so uh, it wasn't uh, the, the easy version. It's very, very easy. You can steal the ball every time. They don't really call fouls, uh, and you make a lot more shots. Under play mode, that's where you select if you want to play two players, or you can pick which of the two characters that you want the computer to control. Uh, you can pick how you want the game to end, whether it's a timed gaming session or if you play to a set score. And then you, the, the last choice down here is possession, where you pick if it's winner's outs or loser's outs. Now, traditionally, it's in normal basketball, it's loser's outs. That means uh, like when you score, the other guy gets the ball. Uh, and that really seems like the only fair way to play. <laughs> but you can set it up the other way so that after you score, you get the ball again. Uh, and if someone couldn't steal the ball, then you, uh, would beat them very badly. <laughs> uh, so the controls of the game, well, the only way to play this is with a joystick, really. Um, I mean, you can use the keyboard controls, but Commodore supports two joysticks. So I, I don't know that anybody would ever play this actually with a keyboard. Um, the fire button has two different functions. If you tap the fire button, your player rotates 180 degrees. Uh, and it's not, you're not oriented to the other player. You're oriented to the basketball goal itself. So you start off facing the goal. If you tap the button, then your guy spins around and your back will be to the goal. No matter where you are on the field, you can, if your back is to the goal, no matter where you, you move on the court, your back will remain to the goal. So, what you want to do is 
uh, when you know if you're trying to like back down to get a dunk, then you you want to have your back towards the other player so that he can't steal the ball. And then uh, if you get around him, you tap the button so you spin around, and then the ball would be towards the basket. And then when you press the long, uh, you know, you hold the button down for just a, a, a hair longer. I mean, just a button press. I would say. I would say the difference is a tap and a press, and you, you get used to it. But every now and then, you know, you try to spin around and you end up shooting <laughs> from three point world when you weren't trying to do that. Uh, but the uh, the type of shot that you take just depends on where you are. So if you're next to the hoop, you're going to dunk it uh, or, you know, do a layup. If you are further out, you're going to shoot. So you don't have to control the type of shot. The game automatically decides that uh, for you. So again, in the gameplay, you are either Dr. J or Larry Bird. Uh, you have uh, a display up in like, um, you know, that you would see at a normal basketball game, like at, maybe at a high school game, like a uh, the scoreboard up there that has the score, uh, it has the remaining time, uh, it has uh, the shot clock that is counting down. Uh, and then, of course, while you're playing, there are fouls, especially in the higher uh, difficulty levels. There are uh, reaching in, which is when you... Uh, well, reaching there's reaching in and hacking, and and the difference is basically hacking is when the guy is shooting, and you, I mean, there's all you do on defense is you run up to the other guy and press the button a whole bunch, but like I said, in the higher levels they will call these fouls on you. So reaching in, if you run up and hit the button, sometimes it'll call reaching in. If the guy's shooting, it'll call hacking. Uh, you can do a travel, which is if you hold down the button to do a jump shot and never release the button. When you come back and land on the ground, that's the only way that you'll get called uh, for a travel. And uh, on hacking, uh, since you were shooting, you do get to shoot free throws. So that is kind of authentic, I guess, to to basketball. If you do a really cool play, like you spin around and dunk it or something, the game will uh, show an instant replay kind of in slow motion. Uh, so that is another uh, thing that they brought in from basketball. And then the thing that everybody loves to try and do is dunk the ball and break the backboard. You can't do it intentionally, but it will usually happen once, uh, sometimes twice a game. You go up for a dunk and the backboard shatters, the glass falls down, there's a big loud noise, and as you and the other player are standing around, uh, you will have the janitor come out with a push broom and he will come and sweep up the glass and, and make a little unintelligible noise <laughs> uh, in your direction as he sweeps up the glass. And then magically a new backboard will begin and you can uh, play, keep on playing. The scoring in this game works just like normal basketball. Uh, you have two point shots and three point shots. There is a three point line. Uh, whether or not you make the three points, it does seem like Larry Bird makes more three pointers. So maybe there is something to uh, uh, the two characters having slightly different, uh, qu you know, qualities or characteristics. But um, it has more to do with your endurance and fatigue. So each player underneath uh, on, on their side of the screen has a fatigue meter. And the more you run around, jump, uh, spin, all those things, every move you make in the game, your fatigue bar goes up. <laughs> now, if you stand still and don't do anything at all, your fatigue meter slightly 
goes down. So now it resets in between quarters. So if you uh, your fatigue meter is all the way at the top, then uh, you know the next quarter it starts over. So think of it as you know your your tiredness <laughs> meter or whatever. Now there it's hard to tell where the max is. I don't think there's any mark that shows where the maximum fatigue is. So it just kind of keeps going up until at some point, I guess it, it maxes out. What you will see the more fatigued you are is you will miss more shots the further you are away and your character will get slower and you won't be able to jump as high. You know, when you're, when you're fresh and you hit a jump shot, your guy jumps, you know, two or three feet up into the air. It seems like, uh, but later on when you're fatigued, you will just jump like an inch or two. So when you're trying to rebound, when the ball bounces out of the hoop and you run up to the hoop, first of all, the guy who's less fatigued will be faster getting to the hoop. And second of all, when you try to jump uh, to grab the ball out of the air, whoever's more fatigued won't jump as high. So what I found, especially on the easier levels, is once I was able to uh, get you know kind of a healthy lead, I would... Uh, you know, get start off with the ball, uh, turn my back on the other player, get all the way up near the basket, and then with you know however much time was left on the shot clock, sixteen, seventeen seconds, just stand there uh, in hopes of getting my fatigue meter going. You know, <laughs> get it to go down a little bit, and then when there was two or one seconds left, then I would shoot. One thing that I found in the one player mode is that the computer never gets as fatigued as you do. Uh, your fatigue level within just a few plays will be probably halfway up, but somehow the computer stays very low, so that gets to be challenging, especially in the higher uh, or more competitive uh, settings because uh, you'll you'll find whoever you're playing against is faster than you gets more rebounds and makes more shots so it definitely makes the game uh, you know more challenging uh, and again as I I said you know the score is the same as as basketball but you can roll it over one thing I didn't try is um, well you know at the end of the game I don't even think it it didn't even say who won. You just look at the score. So uh, because the the scoreboard is only two digits, so you after ninety nine points it rolls over. But I guess you would just know. Uh, you and your friends would know. <laughs> I mean, if you score over a hundred points on your opponent, you know you just have to keep track of that. I guess. Uh, anyway, back to uh, Moby Games for our trivia question. This is actually the first computer game with celebrity endorsements. So. Of course, now when we think about uh, especially sports titles, but but lots of other titles, you know, I mean, uh, I mentioned Joe Montana football earlier, and, and of course we have, you know, John Madden and, and all those people that became associated not just with sports, but with sports video games, uh, and all the people, of course, now we have, you know, full uh, lineups of sports teams uh, when we play, you know, PlayStation, uh, basketball, football, hockey, you know, professional sports. But, uh, you know, back then this was kind of unique. It was the first time where they had actually taken uh, real-life people and, and put them on the cover and, and put them in the game. So that, that um, this is the beginning of EA Sports, like it or not. <laughs> and back then EA Sports was pretty cool. Uh, I don't think people love Electronic Arts today the same way that we loved them back in the 80s. Back in the 80s, Electronic Arts really represented uh, innovative gameplay and uh, you know really cool games. And I don't think people see the company that same way today. 
for reviews, um, this game got pretty good reviews um, for uh, Computer and Video Game Magazine. Gave it four. Uh, oh gosh, this is the one low one. I forgot. They gave it four out of ten in July '84. But pretty much everybody else uh, gave it. Uh, let's see, Commodore Format gave it an eighty-five percent. Commodore User gave it three out of five. Your sixty-four gave it four out of five, and your Commodore gave it three out of five. Now, uh, I pulled some quotes out of the Wikipedia article about one-on-one Info World in nineteen eighty-four called one-on-one quote. Perhaps the most talked about sports game of the new year. It says the magazine praised its portrayal of the two players' individual styles, backboard shattering, crowd noise, and instant replays, and concluded that one-on-one delivers the goods, a realistic simulation of a lively sports matchup. So that's funny that, I mean, the the players in this are a little more than... Uh, I mean, they're fleshed out like stick people, but they're certainly not 3D, you know, they're just... Uh, you know, you can see them from the front, the back, or the sides. When you you uh, move around, they, the characters kind of uh, orient, you know, again, like I talked about, either pointing towards or away from uh, the basket. But to think of this as a a sports simulation, you know, or, or realistic is, uh, uh, of course, before this, I mean, if you think about, like, Atari basketball, where you just have two players that are different colors, but they're, you know, they didn't have any personality. Um, so again, people were really excited about this game. Computer Gaming World in 1984 called one-on-one, quote, incredibly realistic and predicted that it would be one of the year's best sports games. The magazine cited the absolutely fantastic graphics, simple controls, and the instant replay as positives, only criticizing the lack of clarity of ball possession under the basket and lack of overtime. Again, putting this game in perspective, I guess it has fantastic graphics (laughs) compared to what was out there before, but obviously compared to today's standards, uh... I wouldn't say they're fantastic. Um, I do agree with the simple controls, and I like that. I like the fact that uh, I called my kid in to uh, test the game and, you know, gave him a joystick and said, here you go. And I barely had to explain anything, you know, and and within 30 seconds, we were both probably uh, had (laughs) the same skills. And after that, it was just playing. Uh, And and I like that, you know, I have uh, the latest NBA. I think it's uh, NBA Live, whatever, 16 for the PlayStation, and I'm still trying to figure out controls, uh, and it's been like a month. <laughs> you know, I mean, calling plays and doing all that stuff is just, uh, it might just be beyond me. So uh, I do like the fact that you can, um, uh, you know, just um, pick it up and go. Uh, Saint Game, this is again from Wikipedia, says this is a sports game of 1984, noting the realistic feel of the two players' playing styles, while noting the inability to stop dribbling to fake out the other player, the magazine concluded that the game is highly addictive, thrilling, and sometimes frustrating, and always involving. Those are the best ways to describe one-on-one. It's a winner. Well, uh, I agree that it's addictive. Um, I don't know that I would say it's thrilling. I would say that sometimes it's frustrating, uh, especially when you're playing against the computer and he does things like just block the lane and you cannot you know, get around him to get closer to the basket. Um, that is true that you can't stop dribbling the ball. I don't know that even in modern basketball games, uh, I guess you could stop dribbling. I don't know. I never do that. (laughs) Uh, it seems like you wouldn't want to, but, um, uh, anyway, Ahoy said that the Commodore version is a must have and commute, 
uh, oh, sorry, Compute uh, reviewed the Amiga version and commented on its improved graphics and sound, but said that the gameplay was the same as the 8-bit computers uh, and said that that was, quote, a testament to careful research and clever programming of the original version. Uh, so it was released on the Amiga. In fact, it was first released uh, in 1983 on the Apple II and Atari 8-bit line. And then starting in 84, uh, it was released on, let's see here, the ColecoVision, Commodore 64, and the 85, you had the Macintosh. Uh, it came out for DOS in 84, the Coco in 85, and the ZX Spectrum in 85, uh, and also, like I said, the Amiga. And then in 1987, as a lot of collectors know, it came out for the Atari 7800. Um, it, there was uh, uh, a sequel. Uh, now, of course, you know, when you make games with, with uh, dedicated basketball players, what happens, or sports players, uh, is that those guys retire, and they're not hot anymore. And so the sequel to this game was Jordan, Versus Bird. Of course, Dr. J had retired and Michael Jordan had taken over as the new hot uh, NBA player where Larry Bird was the wise uh, old veteran. And so in 1988, Jordan versus Bird was released uh, for the PC, Sega Genesis, also the Commodore 64 and the NES. Uh, so, um, uh, you know, if you want to check out the sequel again, both of those uh, were on the Commodore 64. How to play this game today, um, I don't think that there are any uh, iOS versions of this game or anything like that. So uh, like a lot of these titles, you're stuck to emulation or tracking down a copy for the real deal. On eBay, uh, the Commodore 64, there's a disc only for about $10, uh, and you can find... Uh, complete, there were, you know, the complete ones show up from time to time. Uh, and a lot of people that collect this style of packaging, the rain, the, um, record album style of electronic arts games, uh, they're, they're not always cheap. Now there are some fairly inexpensive ones. And a lot of people that collect those don't necessarily care about what computer they were for. <laughs> uh, and in fact, my copy, uh, no, I do have a Commodore 64 copy. I used to have an Apple II uh, copy, but there are different versions, uh, complete copies. None are for the C64 right now, but they do show up. But the there's an Apple II uh, copy of one-on-one -on -one complete for $15 right now on eBay. There's an Amiga one for 20 a PC copy for 30 and a copy for the Atari 800 for $40. So uh, there are still copies of this game floating around if you like collecting. They're, they're, it's not cheap always to collect those style of games, but they do show up pretty frequently. And now let's talk a little bit about my personal memories of this game. All right, time travelers. Seatbelt fastened. Yes. Get away to the past. Memories. My first exposure to this game was on the Apple II computer. Uh, it is another one of those games where I think having two joystick buttons gives you an advantage because I believe on the Apple II, one button shoots, the other button pivots, so you don't have that same problem you have on the C64 where you have one button serving two purposes. But um, other than that, you know, the game is very playable on the C64. Um, if you think about 
Again, like I said, comparing it to the Atari 2600 or other early sports titles, uh, it, it's a very uh, advanced-looking game. It, it captures that essence of a one-on-one basketball game. You know, there were so many sports titles in the early days. If you think about, like, I always think about uh, Atari football, which had, you know, the three guys, but they all did the same thing. They were just mirror images of one another. And then you had the Intellivision that said, oh, we have more people on the screen. So there was this big push about more players trying to get, you know, the same amount of players in the video games that were on actual teams, you know, having five people on the court for a basketball team or 11 people on the court or on a field for a football team. Uh, So one-on-one doesn't do that. It doesn't try to get five on five, but instead it focused all its energy on creating some uh, realistic physics. Uh, It puts in that fatigue factor and you have actual uh, two actual players that, you know, people that were into basketball at the time were familiar with. So uh, I definitely think it was uh, a success. I liked all the little things like breaking the backboard. Uh, and you have a lot of control on the game, which I think gives you not just control of the players, but um, configurability, uh, which gives it more longevity. You know, you can uh, make the game easier or harder. You can set it to play to a certain time or you could set it to, you know, a certain point. So uh, it gave you a lot of um, it was very configurable in the ways that you played it. So I played this game a lot. Um, I think I, I could tell you that. uh as an adult one time, uh, I went to a, a computer store or a, a retro video game store and some guys were on the, the demo. They had a TV and an Atari hooked up and they were playing combat and I hadn't played combat since I was, you know, six or seven years old. And I was like, I can't believe people are playing combat. But then when I watched them, you know, they were playing as adults. They were trying to do sneaky shots and hide around, uh, uh, you know, the corners. And it wasn't just like, as we played, uh, as kids where you would just just drive after everybody with a tank and shoot, 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 shoot. You know, they were actually using uh strategy to try to play and they were playing uh, combat in a way that I hadn't, you know, thought about playing combat. And so one-on-one to me was that same kind of thing where as a kid, you know, you just lob a three-pointer, shoot, 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 you know. But then when you play this as an adult, you really start trying to like, you know, fake out the guy or, or you do the same thing two or three times in a row and then you pretend like you're going to do that, but you do something else. So there's a lot of mind games uh, going on in this. I don't know that I would sit down and play it for hours upon hours, but um, uh, I, I would definitely, you know, if, if I were looking for something to play, a quick quick game or something like that, I would I would definitely go back to it. For graphics, I give this game four out of five broken backboards. You obviously have the two different players. You have the court. Um, I'm not comparing it to games of today, but comparing it to the time in which it was released. It was definitely advanced uh, for, for its age. For music, I give it two out of five broken backboards. You have music during the opening demo, but after that, all you get are sound effects. And for sound effects, I give it three out of five broken backboards. Uh, we do get little bits of crowd noise here and there. Uh, you get you know a few sounds, but not enough uh, to make this game really stand out. But for overall gameplay, I give one-on-one four out of five broken backboards. It is a fun game. Uh, it's easy to pick up and play. You don't have to learn a whole lot, but 
uh, you'll definitely get your enjoyment out of playing this game. Even with two players, it's fun, but even against the computer, it can be fun. So uh, if you're looking for a quick game to pick up and try out, I definitely recommend trying one-on-one Dr. J versus Labor. Thanks again for tuning in to Sprite Castle. If you want to play this week's game, head on over to SpriteCastle.com and click on the downloads link at the top of the page where you can download Commodore 64 emulators and all the games that have been reviewed on the show. If you'd like to send me a game request or feedback about this or any other episode of Sprite Castle, you can email me at Rob O'Hara at RobOHara.com, contact me on Twitter at Commodore, follow the show on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Sprite Castle, or leave me a voicemail on the Flack Podcast Hotline, which is 405-486-YDKF. Sprite Castle is available from iTunes, Stitcher Radio, the SpriteCastle.com RSS feed, and through throwbacknetwork.net, your home for quality retro podcasts. To hear more podcasts from me, check out You Don't Know Flack, Cactus Flax, Throwback Reviews, and Multiple Sadness. You can find links to all these shows at robohara.com forward slash podcasts. Many of the news articles and game details for Sprite Castle come from websites such as Commodore is Awesome, the Commodore Scene Database, Lemon64, and Moby Games. For links to these and more websites, check out the list of links on the right-hand side of SpriteCastle.com. Thanks again for listening. Now get ready to take it to the hoop, and we'll see you here next time on Sprite Castle. <laughs>